Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to episode nine of Football, a podcast where we are giving our highs, lows, and O'Briens uh, of the dra- of the first round. Uh, I'm here with Matt and Bill. What's going on, guys? What's new? I am loving the homage to Bill <laughs> O'Brien. I'm very excited for our listeners to hear uh, hear your thought process on 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 that tidbit of information. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he makes trades and moves that were head scratchers, but, uh, but Bill or Bill, what's going on? Oh, you know, not, not much. Uh, happy, happy Saturday evening, um, yes. to, to uh, you two. And, and, uh, whenever the listener happens to be listening to this, um, Bill O'Brien, if it's you, we apologize in advance. Uh, and thanks for listening, everyone out there. Our most recent episode of the Not-So-Instant Draft Reactions has done the best so quickly. It's tied for our second most listened to podcast with ones that have been out for uh, like like a month at this point. So uh, getting good feedback on that and just appreciate everyone who's listening. I think we have a, a couple new listeners in Tennessee, which is interesting. We haven't done too much Titans talk, so maybe we should get a little bit more uh, in there. Um but before we get nice. started, I have a I have a question for you all because it's just this came out right before we started recording, um, and I we haven't like I haven't given you these yet, so this is completely off the cuff. But McCool Hardman, who I love, uh, fantasy drafted him his, his rookie year, exceed expectations. But he posted on Twitter, these might be the hardest multiplications. So I want to give them to you just off the cuff and see how if they actually are hard. So before I read you it, do and I'm that. like, no, they're not. Before you do that, I, I have to know what was the context. Was he like trying to help his like a child with their multiplication tables, or did he just happen to have like a you know a sixth grade math you know book in front of him? Like, I need a little bit more context. I point. have no idea. The only thing it was, the cool Hardman just posted it at one thirty. Uh, these might be the hardest multiplication tables, and listed four specifically. And I have no okay. other, con- I, I don't know. So I am curious to see if anyone else thinks they're hard or if McCool just uh, just didn't learn a lot in college or I should say before college. So first one, nine times eight. 72. 72. Okay. Nine times seven. 63. Eight times seven. 56. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 56. Eight times six. 48. I listeners, don't know I just I just want it. you to, to notice, listeners, that uh, I've just defeated my brother in a multiplication <laughs> tables contest. So I don't know what to say. Did, did did you beat me? I feel like I yeah. I got the first ones out more than you did. No, no, false. Hey, listen, we've got tape on this. <laughs> All right, we can have go tape back on and it. listen to it. I, Bill did beat you on eight times seven. So so getters, get yeah, those. but I yeah, but I beat him on the other four. So how false. does that false? <laughs> It's fact. Uh, Bill might be trumping this and just claiming victory. And then listen, it doesn't matter. Victory. It doesn't matter what, what what everybody says or what everybody sees with their own eyes. Listen, I won in a landslide. So, okay, our our our, our podcast has gone full Q and on. It's over. Unbelievable. So it's over. Nicole Hardman is going to be on our podcast now. <laughs> if you're listening, tell us more. I need more context to this. So I guess I would love. I'll do a math challenge with McCool. Like, have him come on. Like, just tweet him. Like, let's come on, come to the podcast. We'll talk cheese football and we'll do multiplication tables. It's going to be amazing. So it would span from multiplication tables to what? Would you get to like quadratic formula or long division? Okay. I don't. You want to go to? You want to go from multiplication tables to quadratic formula? We're good. No, we're going to stick with long division here. And he he gets pen and paper. He can have pen and paper. 
And that's such a bummer because I love that guy too. Not that I like don't like him anymore, but man. Well, it didn't. He didn't necessarily say they were hard for him. They just he just was making a commentary about the difficulty. I'm I'm my glass is half full here, but I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, especially when we come on the show. So, channel's plug there. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe he's helping someone. Yeah, maybe that's it. I sincerely hope. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so the purpose what we're here for is giving our draft grades, and we're not going to go. One through 31, because you don't really care what we think about Trevor Lawrence, because I think everyone's kind of in agreement on that one. But we're going to go through highs and lows of what we think our grades were. And and like last episode, we talked about five different categories. We'd grade them one through five and get an aggregate score and and try to help us grade that way. So we'll, we'll link to all of them. Uh, on the Twitter account or the Instagram uh, page so you all to review. But this one will just be spent going through highlights. And the five categories we ranked them on were player talent, um, potential, uh, team fit, immediate impact, and pick value. Um, so we went ranked them one through five. Uh, and then I guess anything else you, you guys want to add before we kind of get into what each one through five means for each category? No, man. I think it's it's sort of a, a little bit different than what you'd see from sort of your beat writers, your NFL.com guys, your ESPN guys, that it's almost like an um, an eyeballing of the draft class and saying, oh, no, we're going to give the draft class like this grade because it's kind of arbitrary and it's kind of weird. I think we, uh, thanks to Bill, sort of created a little bit of standardization around it uh, and added some quantifiable data to it as to why we might be able to uh, put a, a number grade uh, to some of these names. So it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. Yeah. I think it helped from like, I was just thinking a baseball perspective, like let's have actual descriptions tied to these so we can kind of think it through instead of just one through five. But so player talent ranged from flame out to pro ready. You know, one was a flame out practice squad player. Second, uh, number two, there was like a toolsy player drafted on speculation or like, Hey, this, this, player has speed but you know you didn't really see a lot of production then you have development which is just like college good but needs some development four was well-rounded um and then five was pro ready that they're you know pro ready any more development makes them great so Mm -hmm. that's that one potential you know one through five below average league average starter pro bowl all pro and i think the important differentiator here is you know starter is just like a regular starter league average is like a special team or a backup because i think people might think league average is a starter but really it's a little bit you know less than uh, mm-hmm. less skilled than a starter um immediate impact was project which is like a developmental practice squad squad player for one through five uh, that was one contributor would be two so that's like your zero to 29 snaps per game that's like your Blake Jarwins your Jakeem Grants your Tariq Cohen's you know role players um, three would be a regular so 30 to 42 snaps those are like your Robert Tonians your David Johnson's Melvin Gordon's um, four would be a cog or like a key player in that offense or team um, like AJ Brown Kelvin Ridley Zeke um, Derek Henry and then your game Game. anything five would be game changer those are like all your quarterbacks and then the high level players like a darren waller deandre hopkins um so that's what we kind of think the immediate impact will be one through five there and then last would be uh pick value 
um, which is Bill O'Brien. <laughs> One is Bill O'Brien, which is just <laughs> a pick that addresses no team need, no player value. Two would be like a reach, like bad value. Three is adequate, you know, best player available. Four above average. Five excellent. So yeah, that's that's kind of the the one through five characteristics we had there, and kind of guided us to make our, our choices. And and kudos to you, Zach, for for you know flushing all that out because I I know when I was filling out my rankings, it was extremely helpful. Um, and it's not just picking a number out of the air. It's it's basically saying, hey, this is what a one is. This is what a two is. So. Um, I, I think it'll be really helpful and, and I think we're, we're going to share this out with the listeners, but it, it, it's a good, it's a good tool to compare why we think the way we do about certain, certain people. And so as you look at it, you know, if there's somebody that I've got rated really high that maybe you guys don't, we can actually talk about in particular where the gap is between where I think they're, they are versus where you guys think they are. So. Yeah. Um, hopefully that's helpful to the listeners. Yeah. So we'll kind of get into it and just start with, you know, all that mumbo jumbo I just said. What were any picks that particularly surprised you that you had, um, either good or bad or, or anything of the sort, um, after you, you actually assigned a number grade to each of these categories? I'll kick it out to anybody. So, I, I, I mean, the one that, that surprised me just in that – I really, you know, as I went back and looked at the player, because I hadn't done a lot of tape research on him, uh, the Saints with Peyton Turner, um, the more, I didn't really have a lot of background on him, but the more I watched him, I was like, this this dude can play. Um, you know, and I don't have a extremely high grade on, on the pick. I've got him at like a solid B+. Plus. Um, but for where the saints were picking and, and, you know, they're going to have to revamp that entire defense here within the next, you know, two years. Cause they're, you know, in cap hell, which we've kind of discussed. Um, as I looked at Peyton Turner, you know, I, I just, I, I saw a lot of potential there, uh, heavy hands, a powerful guy, uh, you know, extremely athletic. Um, it, it sounds to me like he was one of those people that, you know, a lot of analysts and a lot of scouts weren't talking about um, because they were hoping that he would fall to, to their team. Um, you know, he was a, he was a riser throughout the process, but I don't think a lot of people had him going in round one. Um, but the more I looked at him, the more I was, I was really impressed. Um, so I, I think, you know, moving forward, that was a surprise pick for me, but every time I look at it, I like it a little bit more. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that one. Good, Matt. Uh, I thought it was kind of an interesting pick because I had I had actually um, and I'm sure probably our listeners and I know the two the two of you guys were in sort of the same boat like leading up to the draft I was doing that PFF mock draft simulator <laughs> yeah. thing like 900 times <laughs> leading up to to eight o'clock yeah. on Thursday when it actually happened um, and his name kept coming up over and over and over again um, but he was always projected sort of in a in the third or fourth round kind of area, but I kept seeing his name and I was like, you know what? This looked like someone, you know, I was kind of looking at what may happen for the Pittsburgh Steelers, given that they're sort of the primary team that I'm a fan of. And, you know, looking through at some of his tape, like really strong pass rusher, um, someone that was really productive, uh, which is actually something you really can't say for a lot of the guys in this, this class. Like there was not a lot of guys that compiled a large quantity of sacks. Um, in the edge rush department. So 
taking a look at him, I was pretty impressed. And I actually wasn't as surprised as I feel like others were when the Saints called his name. Uh, and I also think it's it's kind of interesting to see how it's going to pan out because it, it it's not something you would think would be a position of need because they have Marcus Davenport uh, and they've got Cameron Jordan who have been really good pass rushers. Um, but I think there's, you know, Davenport, they paid a pretty hefty price to go up and get him when he was drafted. So I think this might be one of those situations where uh, they just picked up his fifth year option, but they may be anticipating that he's ready to leave the team. Um, and maybe they overpaid for him, something yeah. like that. Or they could just be looking like we've talked about so many different times on this show as to let's just flood our team with pass rushers. We play in the same division as Tom Brady. Carolina is going to be better. Atlanta's um, passing game is going to be uh, above average for sure. So that could be New Orleans logic. But he actually didn't surprise me quite as much as I thought. Uh, maybe he surprised other people. See, I had him rated a little. So I had him two point four on, on my score. That's the score I gave him. And I, I or the, gave the pick, not necessarily him. I, I think that it was. You know, I was with Bill. I went back. I didn't do. I didn't look at a lot of him before the draft. But I went back and I I saw. You know, good good strength. Like I, I definitely see an inside presence to him. I don't think he has the speed to be an outside rusher, and I feel like he was very. It was a lot of a- athletic. You know, the why the Saints would draft him because of his athletic prowess. You know, in terms of like strength and things like that. Or, and I didn't like the and the, without the speed. And I just thought that was maybe kind of an overreach in round one. So I think he could. I, I on potential, I have him three as like a as a. Uh, you know, a regular starter. I don't think he's a bad player by any means, but I, I just, I, I had him, I had the pick a little bit lower, I guess, but. Yeah, he, he actually graded out uh, for me as a 2.4 as well. So okay. I think, you know, maybe, maybe how we divvied up the points were a little bit different between the two of us. The thing that actually struck me, so there's an element here when we're looking at these grades of the player's talent, but there's also that element of the team fit and the value. Yeah. And I think that's more of a grade that moves on to the franchise itself rather than the player. And the reason that I kind of graded him a little bit lower, it wasn't on the, on his side of the spectrum. I liked him as a player. I liked the productivity in college, but if I'm new Orleans and I'm looking at the team needs that I have across the board, I needed a number two, for uh to go opposite of michael thomas i passed on terrence marshall i needed a corner i passed on asante samuel i passed on on tyson campbell i passed on some of the other players so i was actually really harsh on the saints because while i like peyton turner as a player there was a lot of other needs and i think more glaring needs on that team and to pass on individuals that i viewed as premier talents at premier positions and Terrence Marshall um, and those the cornerbacks that I mentioned, I was just more harsh on New Orleans than I was on him. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I that's a good point to bring up is because my grades were positive on him, but less so on the fit. I, I also don't think he gets a ton of impact his first year either. I feel like that line is you know he's more of a rotational piece and he's not going to come in there and um, you know dominate that that line, which which you know factors into the value you're getting for that pick. But Bill, I right. think you're going to say something. Yeah, you know, the other thing that's going to be interesting too, you know, moving forward, and I don't necessarily know if they play the same position per se, 
Um, but he went two slots ahead of Gregory Rousseau, too, yeah. um, who was a much more highly touted prospect. Now, I, I think Turner is much more of your classic 4-3 defensive end where Rousseau can be more of that hybrid 3-4 outside back or 4-3 end kind of thing. Um, but it'll be interesting to watch their career progressions. Um, you know, I, I think Rousseau is probably a better athlete, um, but there was an element to, to Turner's game, and I think a little bit more refinement to Turner's game that made the uh, that made him the pick versus Rousseau. Um, but to your point, I, I also kind of saw, you know, they had some other needs. Um, it, this is this is, you know, really driven by my opinion of the player's talent. And, um, you know, when you look at the pick value, uh, there were some guys out there as well, but I think that they are going to need an end um, sooner rather than later. So I had the pick value a little bit higher maybe than you guys did, which which may have uh, created some separation for us. Okay, so Matt and I had him at 2.4. Bill, what was your aggregate score from all My the aggregate score for uh, Peyton Turner was actually a 3.6. Okay, all right. Um, and I also, I also really liked his potential, too. Um, he, to me, you know, just based off of watching his tape, uh, could be somebody that fits in that four category as in, okay. you know, making occasional Pro Bowls. So um, that, that team fit and the um, the potential piece is probably where our, our uh, delta was. Yeah. For team fit, I pretty much gave everyone a three unless they either were drafted into a complete log jam and they didn't fit the team or they were above, um, you know, they fit really well with either the – the like coaching staff mentality or like what the team wants to do or something like that. So I guess mine, mm-hmm. a lot of mine were threes there. Um, yeah. So that, that was, so paint Turner was a surprise. Uh, Matt, any surprises for you? Yeah, there was one pick that I think in the, in the hub of the draft and, and all the, the craziness that was occurring that was made. And I kind of felt like, um, it didn't quite fit the need for the team. And I was a little bit skeptical of it going into uh, the immediate aftermath of the pick. But the person who ended up grading higher for me was Micah Parsons. So Micah Parsons going to the Dallas Cowboys um, definitely stuck out to me as one that I did anticipate. He got a 4.2 grade for me. Um, I thought he may have landed a little bit more in the three range, but when I take a look at some of the needs on the Cowboys defense, like one, they've they've invested highly. And this is one of the reasons that I was a little bit skeptical going into the pick because I knew they needed a corner. And when they made the pick, I thought maybe they could have traded down even further and looked into the Asante Samuel range, the Tyson Campbell range, maybe moved back and gotten Caleb Farley before the Titans grabbed him. But when I go back and I look at that defense and I see where their flaws have been over the past few years, I think people thought that Leighton Vander Esch was going to solve a lot of problems for them. Jalen Smith is someone they invested highly in who I think has played well, but he's not necessarily a huge standout. And when I think about the years when the Dallas defense was really good, they did have that standout middle linebacker in Sean Lee. And this is really the role that Parsons is about to step in and fill. But when I analyze some of the other weaknesses on Dallas's defense, and when I look at sort of the team fit and sort of does he solve a problem, not only can he solve the problem as being a run stopper in that traditional Mike linebacker role 
or really the Sam or the Will, kind of depending on on you know which position he slots uh, slots into next to uh, Jalen Smith. But an underestimated aspect of his game that leaps out on film, but it doesn't necessarily get talked about quite as much, is his ability to rush the passer. This is someone who has the capability to rush almost like a three-four outside linebacker or an or an edge type of player. Uh, he is disruptive as a blitzer. Dallas has had a lot of difficulty getting to the quarterback, mm-hmm. and we often look at their second secondary, and we talked about it so much as like Patrick Sertan is slotted in at number ten, yeah. has been since January. That's what it's going <laughs> to yeah. be, right? But but there is that that unity that needs to exist within the defense as the pass rush needs to make the corners and safeties and makes the secondary's job easier and the secondary needs to be disruptive as well but when you look at the defense as an organism i don't quite see another player in this draft that you immediately put them on a defense and you create disruption you create someone who has good coverage ability uh, and someone who can really just be an immediate difference maker. And I started to notice some of that stuff as I continued to analyze that pick. Um, so I thought this was originally like, not necessarily a miss by Dallas, but I didn't think I would grade it quite as high until I really sat back and thought about all of the qualities that Parsons brings to the table and how he can just really help Dallas across the board. Um, so they did a, a massively successful job, in my opinion, with this pick uh, after you know second and third glances. So I, I was surprised by how much I liked the Parsons pick. And with Parsons, I have him highly graded as well. I think the Cowboys did an excellent job navigating the draft. The only thing that I have him low on is just the team fit, and that's because of the log jam at Lyme. I think they have uh, with, and then you add in Jabril. Uh, or not Jabril Cox. Did they take Jabril Cox? They took another linebacker um, late. They, they have, did. They okay. took one later in the draft. Yeah. So it's it's like a it's you know it's a position of you know they have a ton of options there and but they're not going to pick up or they didn't pick up uh, Vayton, uh or Leighton uh, Van Der Esch's option. I think they're going to mm-hmm. probably let one of those. So I think over time that grade will get better. But I agree with you. I mean, other than that two I gave him team fit, he would have been. I have him at a three point eight. He would have been in the fours for me too. I thought that. I think they did a great job of in terms of getting it because there's only six elite talents, five or six elite talents in this draft, I think, and he's one of them. And to get him at twelve, I think was an awesome pick for the Cowboys. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm and I of, think. Go ahead. Oh, Bill. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm kind of right in line with you guys too. I gave him a three point eight. Um, you know, I, I think I, you know, discussed with you guys that you know I, I really think he would be an impact player, and I think he's going to be a good one for Dallas. The only thing I question is, you know, you, you've really invested heavily at the linebacker position, and you know, you're probably not going to renew Van Der Esch's contract because you just declined his fifth year option after next year. Um, but you know, to continue to invest in in that position, the only the only hesitation that I have, and I understand that the two quarter cornerbacks went off the board, but um, there was a, there were probably some other players at other positions of need on the defense um, that that maybe could have been addressed there. Um, but again, I, I love Parsons as a player; he's going to be a bit a, a big impact. Um, I just maybe would have liked, loved to have seen them take a corner. Um, but, but again, I, I don't necessarily know if there's anybody in that range that would have made a lot of sense. That wouldn't have been a little bit of a reach. So that's just my two cents on him. Okay. 
Yeah. So, definitely. so for me, there's one pick that I desperately want to talk about, and we probably will later in, in this episode, so I won't be labor it now. But the one I think is kind of interesting that I thought surprised me in a bad way was the uh, Elijah Vera Tucker pick from the Jets. And nothing mm. about him per se. I think he's a, a good player, but I feel like he's, and I could be wrong, you guys could disagree, I feel like he's more of a guard that played tackle as opposed to a tackle that could play guard. And I feel like trading up is a, you know, to 14 is a premium spot. And I think the value of that pick was torpedoed because of that trade. I mean, if you look at who the Vikings took with the picks that the Jets gave up. So who what what who would you rather have on your team with these three picks? Would you rather have uh, Elijah Vera Tucker or the combination of Christian Darrisaw, Kellen Mond, and Wyatt Davis? Those were the, oh. who the Vikings grabbed with those three picks. So I just think that he's a fine player. He'll have an immediate impact for sure. But that they gave up way too much to get someone who is going to be a – a, a good, possibly elite guard, I think. Wow. Well, geez, Zach, when you articulate it like that, I mean, it, it kind of sheds it in an entirely different light. I mean, you know, I, I really like Vera Tucker as a player, but but you're right. If if you view him as a guard, then that's too high for a guard. Um, and even somebody like Wyatt Davis, who we really haven't talked about on, on this show, but um, Wyatt Davis is is – you know, every bit the plug and play NFL starter. He he's yet he lacks a little bit of power in the run game, um, but that's not something that he can't improve upon. I mean, I think he was a five star lineman uh, coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in terms of the Vera Tucker pick, um, it, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is too high for a guard. It, it, even somebody like a, a Zach Martin or a David DeCastro or somebody that's a pure guard, the top fifteen is is really rich for a guard. Um, so again, I, I love Veritecker as a player. I love his athleticism. Um, but, but you, you raise a good point to the point where I'm now, I'm now I'm reevaluating my own, uh, um, evaluation of, uh, of Elijah Veritecker. But, um, it, it, it's, it's interesting because when you look at, at that team, he plugs in right away as, as an excellent fit, but you know, I do, I do question the value and, you know, that's, that's part of the equation here. I'll, I'll push back a little bit and, and Zach, I understand your logic and, and I would agree that, you know, Hey, if I can get Kellen Mond, if I can get Christian Darisaw, if I can get Wyatt Davis, I mean, that's great. Um, those are all three really good players and and the Vikings got a lot of value from that deal. Um, so I understand that piece of the equation. Uh, but I'll also counter a little bit with the idea that it's too high for someone that's a guard. Um, if I'm the New York jets and I'm Joe Douglas and I just invested the number two pick in, in a franchise quarterback in Zach Wilson, then, you know, I, I went out, I drafted, uh, Mackie Becton last year. I've got someone who can slot in at kind of my left tackle slot. But with Elijah Vera Tucker, there's also, I understand that he may project into the NFL as a left guard, but he could also project into the NFL as a right tackle. Mm-hmm. And the versatility that that provides, because listen, no offensive line is going to make it through a 17 game season totally without all these variations, people are going to get hurt. So if I can bring someone in that if Becton gets hurt, I can pop out to left tackle. I can slot in on a regular uh, full strength, full strength 
roster as my left guard. If my right tackle gets hurt, I can pop him out and bring someone else in. I think there's a lot of versatility that he can provide that is really good. And then in terms of the the being too high for a guard, Indianapolis would disagree with Quentin Nelson. Yeah. I mean, is there a more higher impact line of scrimmage player that has come into the league since Quentin Nelson, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of somebody off the top of my head. They can absolutely establish a really good run game, They can, which, which goes hand-in-hand with protecting my quarterback. So if Zach Wilson's not back there flinging the ball 60 times a game, Joe Burrow style, he's got a much more higher chance of being successful in New York. So I actually like the Vera Tucker picker. And I know Zach, your, your qualms aren't necessarily about the player himself, but I just love the versatility that brings. I don't think you necessarily get that versatility with Christian Darisaw, who is someone that they would have passed up on or some of these other tackles like Leatherwood that went a little bit, um, a little bit mm-hmm. afterwards, things like that. So um, I'm actually okay with it. I understand you can kind of make the pick like, ooh, did the Vikings win that trade or did the Jets win that trade? But I just really like Vera Tucker. Um, so maybe there's a, a couple different ways to look at that. I, 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 oh, go ahead, Bill. So, so my concern with, you know, and, and you know, Matt, I, I think he could play right tackle. Um, but I feel like if you're projecting him to play right tackle, there's there's two concerns that I would have. Number one, he's a little bit fringy in terms of size to actually be a right tackle. I mean, he's he's six four, three ten. So I mean, it's not ideal size. Not to say that 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 you know can't be overcome. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the other thing that I think you lose if you stick him at tackle is some of the versatility that he has, some of the movement that he has. And I understand you can you can pull tackles and things, but um, to, to to pull him out at guard, um, I feel like it's a more natural position for him. So I, I think that if it's a question of, you know, are, are we drafting a right tackle at 14 or are we drafting a guard at 14, um, you know, it, and, and if you were drafting, you know, somebody that's a right tackle, then it, it almost makes the move even worse because there's so many right tackles in this draft. Um, and again, I am not poo-pooing Vera Tucker. I absolutely love him, but I, I love him most as a guard. Um, you know, if you're projecting him as a right tackle in this draft before, you know, obviously the draft happens in the pre-draft process, there's so many other right tackles that you can get that maybe you didn't need to trade up. It, again, if you're viewing him as a, as a right tackle. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Matt, I, you make great points and you can't argue with those. And I, you know, probably fall in line more with bill here because in my mocks, I had the chargers taking Vera Tucker, which I thought was a great pick because he is versatile. And I think one of the first podcasts I said, you know, it's death taxes and, and injuries on the chargers offensive line are the only three certainties in life. And I, you know, I think that'd be a great pick, but it's just the trade up was the issue. And, and you look at the players still on the board when the Kellen Mon pick. So if you want to take Mon out of the equation, because he just drafted Wilson, I mean, you could, there was also, you know, Jalen Mayfield on the board, Braden Christensen, um, you know, the, um, uh, the offensive lineman that the Steelers took, Kendrick Green. Um, there were – I just missed one too. There's Ben Cleveland. I mean, there were a um, – there were a lot of other 
there, there were more picks and, you know, maybe getting three of those guys as opposed to one, um, you might be better off in the long run. I'm not sure. Uh, and now no team's going to take three, you know, three offensive linemen like that, but I just think they must've loved their Tucker. They must've thought they must've seen him as a, um, as a Zach, as a Zach Martin in order to pull that trade. And if they saw him as anything less, I think that's a massive overpay. I think the Vikings kind of fleeced him because who's to say that he wouldn't, you know, Darisaw fell. Who's to say that Vera Tucker wouldn't have fell to, to 23 as well. So if we're going to look at the other side of the equation as well, if we're talking about the this particular trade, how did you guys grade out the Darisaw to the Vikings pick? I'll let Bill well, go because I, I know. Can... <laughs> I know because of Bill's, Bill's, <laughs> Bill's baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, just going to let Bill take that one first. So so the, the Vikings pick was the um, – uh, tied for the highest grade that I had at a 4.8 for uh, for the Vikings. I feel like I'm I'm Christian Darrisaw's like one man fan club. <laughs> it's like me and his immediate family, but him, him um, and Tommy Tremble. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Tommy Tremble. Um, but but you know, yeah, I, I absolutely love the the Darisaw pick there. I mean, it, it, it everything, immediate impact, um, position of need. Um, value to be able to trade back and still get the guy that I think they were targeting the whole time anyway. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what, tied for my favorite pick of the first round. I had him up there as well. He was my only over four uh, pick after the Zaven Collins one, 4.4. Um, I think he could be a occasional pro bowler. I don't know if he ever becomes like an elite, you know, one or two tackle, but I think he makes an immediate impact based on how trash that line is. Sorry to anyone who currently plays on that line who's listening to this. Um, it potential very high pick value I thought was awesome. Getting him at 23, yeah. fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I had him at 4.4 overall, which is one of the, the highest picks I had or highest ratings I had for the first round. Yeah, I had him at 4.6, so it looks like we were all in, in sort of the mid to high fours with him. So definitely one of our well, one of our higher graded ones that our, our Vikings listeners will be really pleased to hear. One we do have questions... one, too. We do have a Vikings listener out there. So there we he go. actually all will right. be pleased. Perfect. Perfect. So one of the questions I want to maybe delve into next is, you know, we've obviously seen so many articles come out with the draft grades and this is sort of our quote unquote draft grade episode. Um, Where do you find yourself? Are there any picks that you find yourself absolutely deviating from what appears to be the consensus, whether it's a guy that people are just like, man, that was a great pick. And you're just don't necessarily see it. Or it's one of those situations where you thought, um, you know, people don't like a pick, but you are very high on it. Um, and maybe well, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, that's a great question. I, it's not something that deviates, I would say. I mean, I, everyone knows my thoughts on Zach Wilson, so I won't beat a dead horse there. I think that's. I think that is not a great pick for the Jets for a multitude of reasons. But the one that I will, that maybe is a little bit more obscure that I love that people seem seem to bash a little bit is Caleb Farley to the Titans. Um, mm. I love that pick. I know the risk injuries in our first mock draft, Matt. I said the Viking or the Falcon should take him at four. Uh, I think that was before some of the back injuries popped up. But I think he could be a dominant talent. I think he fits that scheme really well. And I, I mean, I am more likely to take. If I'm a GM, if a talent like that is falling, I'm more likely to take a risk with the injury history. And I think the Titans, they they took a couple corners later too as a way to um, guard against a complete failure by Farley. But I love the Farley pick. I'm not as concerned with the 
the injuries. I think he'll come back fine, and I think they got a incredible talent at, at 22. So I think that's the one that I probably disagree with the most outside of uh, the ratings who talk about, oh, it's a huge risk, huge risk. Yeah, and Zach, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm right in the same boat with okay. you. Um, okay, Bill. I, actually, he tied Derisaw, actually, in my draft grades. Um, the reason that I say that is the dude's going to be ready for camp. I understand that, you know, he had some injury concerns, um, but I feel like they got an incredible value where they where they got him. Um, I think he could end up being a top five corner in this league. Um, he's big, he's strong, he'll, he'll press you, you know, I, I mean, I understand a lot of the concerns around him. I understand why he fell. Um, but I think that this was sort of the floor or the limit that he was going to fall to and Tennessee didn't have to trade up. Um, they, they got their guy and I think that he may end up may, um, health providing end up being the best corner in this class. Um, Spicy, and I that's, like that. that's not, that's not to say anything negative about, you know, the other guys, JC Horn or Patrick Sertan. Um, but I feel like Farley just really is, is a polished corner. I think he's ready to start right now. Um, as long as that back is right, I think Tennessee got an absolute steal here. Matt, are you with us? Are you team Farley? Too? Oh, I'm on. I've been Team Farley. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Is no, I was pick? all on. Well, see, I I, I haven't seen a lot okay, where okay. where he's not been the been graded overly well. Okay, okay. Um. So I've not been studying a ton of that. Um. The one pick that is sort of it's actually leans a little bit more towards the negative. It's Jamin Davis from the Washington Football Team. And he graded out relatively low for me, but I am I was watching NFL Network last night. I've read a, a couple of articles from ESPN, NFL Network, some of the you know the beatnik draftnik kind of community, and this is getting a really high grade. And I think a lot of people are delving into Jamin Davis and being like, he's the next Luke Keekley, he's the next Thomas Davis, and that was the logic that I had kind of applied when we did some of our mock draft ep- episodes about I love the Zaven Collins fit with the Washington football team. And that may have been their direction. Yeah. And that may have been their guy, right? Maybe they were hoping that Parsons or Zaven Collins, who were pretty clearly the top two two guys that were at that position, maybe they were counting on on those two falling to them. But when you make the pick of Javon Davis at, I think it was 18, was was their slot, 18 or 20, I just don't necessarily see the value, especially when you pass on JOK, especially when you pass on some of the wide receivers that were available. You really do need that. We talked a lot about the importance of you've got Terry McLaurin and you've got Curtis Samuel, but Samuel's not a traditional number two X or Z wide receiver. He's kind of a slot running back gadgety sort of guy. Uh, can be incredibly productive. And I think he's a great playmaker, but I'm looking for like a real number two. There's a lot of different needs that they could have addressed. Um, you know, they potentially could have tried to package up and go for a quarterback. There were some corners that went a little bit later in the draft that Even I Darisaw. thought. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, Darisaw is another really good one. Some of the, the offensive linemen that went after that pick. And when I watched Jamin Davis, I just didn't understand 
the Keekly comparisons, the Shaq Thompson comparisons, the Thomas Davis comparisons. Just because someone plays in Ron Rivera's scheme doesn't make them Luke Keekly. Just because they play that same position. Um, he didn't really burst out to me on tape. I would have taken some other uh, linebackers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a reach at the positional value. I thought it was a reach for the particular player. I would have taken JOK ahead of him. I would have even looked at maybe like a Jabril Cox ahead of him. I just didn't necessarily find that to be a wildly valuable pick. Um, I think he'll do fine, right? But but he's being touted as the next Luke Keekley, and I just kind of that gives me a lot of pause. You know, it's almost like the Mac Jones Tom Brady comparisons. I'm like, this is not. <laughs> This is not in the same level. Like this, this is not the same thing. Like just because Tom Brady took a goofy picture during his combine, <laughs> and Mac Jones has a shirtless picture where he doesn't look overly flattering for for people that aren't into dad bods or whatever. <laughs> but like, it feels like that to me. It feels like people are like, "Ooh, he's a linebacker, and he's basically just going to be Luke Kuechly because he plays under in." Ron Rivera system. And I think that's just unwarranted praise not to really shoot down the player. I think he's a fine player, but some of these people are just giving him way too much credit when I think there were a lot, there were a lot of better value picks that were available to Washington. And I think there are more valuable players at the position if that's where they wanted to go. Yeah, I agree with you on on that. You know, it's not nothing against him as a player, but if you're taking somebody that high in in the first round within the top twenty picks, um, and it's an inside linebacker, they better be some sort of um, transcendent talent. You know, I wouldn't have had an issue if you know if it was Michael, Micah Parsons or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Davis is a is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but. Um, I think it was a little bit high for where they took him. And, and in compared in comparison, one to the people that were left on the board, as you mentioned, Matt, there's a lot of, of talent left on the board. They could have gone with, um, you know, Marshall from LSU, the wide receiver. They could have gone Derisaw. They, I mean, there's, there's so many other players that were on the board there. And if you really were convicted that Davis was your guy, couldn't you have, you know, tried to trade back or, you know, I, I just, the the player is fine, but the the value I just didn't see the value there. So so I agree with the assessment. Yeah, um, and the thing I'll mention that you brought up a great point, uh, Matt, was about Jabril Cox. Um, his fall was astonishing to me. There must there must be cons- yeah. like there must be character concerns or something. But you you brought up a great point about you know the oh he's the Luke Keekley. He's the Thomas Davis. What was the what was the trademarks for Keekly? It was his recognition and his coverage ability. You know, he mm-hmm. could cover so well. And if you put if you watch Jamin Davis and then you watch Jabril Cox, you would think that those rounds were switched in terms of where they were drafted. Jabril yeah. Cox is excellent. Um, in coverage, uh, he had, I don't, I, I don't want to say a couple, I don't want to give him more credit than he deserved, but he had a couple pick sixes. I mean, he was always around the ball in coverage and he, to me profiles so much more like Luke Keekley than Jamin Davis does. So I, I, you know, I agree overall with your points, but that specific one I thought was really good because yeah, I think Jabril Cox, his fall was just mystifying to me. Um, fourth yeah, round, that... 10th pick wild injury or character has to be right. I mean, what, what else, what could they be looking at? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of these teams also, like, they interview these guys, and they go through way more in-depth analysis than we do. So yeah. it could even be something as simple. Like, we always see the 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 Gruden or the Mariucci does, like, the whiteboard oh, assessment yeah, yeah. with the quarterbacks, and that's really fascinating stuff. But we don't realize that coaches do that with every position and specifically middle linebacker positions. So it, it could even be a situation where just to offer a third alternative to character concerns or injury concerns, it could also be that maybe his whiteboard test just wasn't that good. Yeah. And maybe he's more of an instinctive player than, and then kind of like your t- traditional X's and O's guy. And sometimes when you've got your your Mike linebacker, the guy that calls your defense, the guy that is not just making the call in the huddle, but is making the call when the offense comes to the line of scrimmage, who's analyzing the formations, trying to tell uh, all the other defenders what position they need to be in. Sometimes it's changing the defense, making audibles live as, as motions are happening and formations are adjusting. So it could even be something like that. But watching Jabril Cox in comparison to Jamin Davis, I didn't see, I I saw just one was significantly better on tape than the other one. And again, not to say that Jamin Davis is a bad player, but I always feel like you could have got him in maybe the second or even the third round. Um, Or you could have grabbed, like I said, a Terrence Marshall, a Christian Dare saw a Caleb Farley. Uh, You could have even added another pass rusher with someone like Quiddy pay. And then, grabbed Jamin Davis if he was still your guy later on in the draft. Uh, agree. Uh, there was something I was going to say about Jamin Davis, and I just totally, completely lost my train of thought. But um, anything? Or did we get through all of ours there uh, in terms of? I think, I think we each had one. Okay. Unless there's anyone else that wants to mention other. <laughs> I do. I do want to mention okay. one one further sort of surprise, and it actually wasn't a a pick that was made was a pick that wasn't made. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm looking specifically at the Colts at 21 who ended up taking Quiddy pay who had a massive hole at their left tackle slot and passed on Christian Derrissaw um, for a guy that, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I think Quiddy pay is good, um, but I, I don't necessarily see that as as heavy of a need as your left tackle um, you know, going into the season, um, I was really surprised by that particular pick. Um, again, I, I mean, if you listen to this podcast often enough, you're probably surprised that, you know, I, I didn't think that, uh, Darisaw would be a, a the number one overall pick over Trevor Lawrence, but you know, I, I just, that, that to me was such an obvious fit that as I'm sitting there hoping that Darisaw falls to, to my Steelers, I'm like, there's no way he's getting past Indianapolis. And he did. Um, and for what I thought was a lesser player in Quiddy Pay. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I have a bit of a theory on that because um, I listened to Frank Reich on, I think it was uh, who uh, Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen shows, listen to the interview, and, and he asked, you know, hey, why didn't you address, because I don't think the Colts drafted an offensive lineman at all. Um, and Frank Reich was talking about how they were kind of zoned in on pay and my my what I think maybe happened here was that they were zoned in on him. Maybe didn't expect Darisaw to be on the board. Maybe weren't prepared to maybe have that discussion of pay Darisaw, which would be kind of hard to believe that draft room wouldn't ha- be prepared for that. But I feel like they they were like, hey, we were so locked in on pay. He's there. 
you know, I know we weren't expecting Darisol, but I feel like we can't sh- switch ships now midstream because I, I, I know him and um, uh, their GM, who's uh, uh, blank, Chris Ballard, uh, they were talking about in that in that draft day, you know, Ballard was coming up, hey, you know, I think he's going to be there. I th- I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling good. And I just think they might have went with someone that they felt comfortable with through a draft process as opposed to, well, Darisol's there, but we may not, you know, have done the interviews or whatever with him. So that's th- that's my uh, that's my not uh, thought process or theory on maybe why that happened. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I guess we'll never know. I, yeah. I was just – I was extremely surprised um, when it happened, but – but we can move off of that. I I uh, I want to I want to get into some O'Briens with you guys. <laughs> That's what I'm really okay. excited the, about the Billy so. O'Bees. And and in in honor of the first annual Billy O'B Awards, it would only be right if the originator and founder of said awards uh, went first. So, okay. um, Mr. Zach, what you got? Uh. And, and Zach, also give us give us a little bit of background. What what is the rec- like? Why are we naming this the Billy O'B Award? And like, what's your criteria for a truly Bill O'Brien pick? Uh, that, okay, so I think the the Bill O'Brien thing is just what move makes there's like A B C D E F and there's Bill O'Brien's. Like, what move makes the least amount of sense? And Bill O'Brien had a number of those moves as the general manager of the. Uh, Texans, whether it was you know chasing off J.J. Watt, pissing him off, whether it was trading uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you know trading a pit, trading two picks to the Dolphins for Laramie Tunzel that are going to make the Dolphins Super Bowl contenders for the next decade, um, just bizarre moves that make because then you trade for left tackle and got to pay him. He's like in the final year of his rookie contract. It made zero sense. So so moves that make. Zero cents is a Bill O'Brien score. Does that mm. does does that make sense? I guess that that does. Okay. This is these are just it. absolute botchings. <laughs> yes. So we're these are the ones that we're just like we're giving people a hard time about. So I'm I'm excited to see what we end up coming up with. Okay, so my worst graded one I'm not going to talk about here because that's Kadarius Tony's my worst graded my worst graded pick. But the one I cannot stop thinking about, and I think you will know where I'm going here. I, I half my texts in our group are about it because it's just unbelievable. I stay up all night, like at least once a week, thinking about this. If anyone who listens wants to call and just talk to me about this, I will discuss theories until the day I die. I can't get over Trey Lance at three. I can't. Mm. This how. It was botched in terms of the trade leading up to it, them trading, not knowing who they were taking, and then loving Trey Lance so much they tried to trade that pick literally the night before the draft for Aaron Rodgers. It is just, I can't stop thinking about how bad that makes Shanahan look, the 49ers look. I just can't get over it. Complete botch job, not only from the selection that it was, but just how it was decided, the uh, hoopla, the circus surrounding it. Just every piece of it was just a complete botch. And I just, I literally cannot stop thinking about this trade. I mean, like, I'm with my girlfriend and I'm just like, I can't, like, do you want to talk about the 49ers? She's like, I don't give a shit. I'm like, I just need to talk <laughs> about this trade because it's so ridiculous to think an NFL organization operates like that. Um, that is my Bill O'Brien uh, pick of the draft. Trey Lance at three to the 49ers. And you know what? This is one that we talked about uh, over text a little bit mm-hmm. where I had sent you guys an article about Mike Lombardi had come out. Yeah. I think this was yesterday or maybe it was this morning. 
and talked about how the Niners wanted Mac Jones, but when it was announced, or I guess when the story leaked that Shanahan was considering Mac Jones at number three, that there was this, and this is factual, there was a visceral reaction from 49ers fans and really from the league at large that kind of like, laughed at this at this notion like are you really like is are they going to take mac jones over justin fields or is this the guy like we all knew that that wilson and lawrence weren't going to be available but of the sort of three remaining quarterbacks no one really looked at mac jones because everyone sort of falls in love with the athletic justin fields the athletic trey lance that kind of thing but it's been talked about ad nauseum on this program how we just did not see it on tape with Trey Lance. And to take the the biggest project and put him on a Super Bowl ready roster, you were you were better off doing tons of different things if you didn't like what Jimmy G was giving you. Um but that if that's true, if but Michael Lombardi's article is true that they were gonna go with mac jones and then they just bailed and went with trey lance that just baffles me i couldn't believe oh i mean i could not believe an nfl team would operate like that when you sent that article i was like i have to read this to see if it's true and who knows if it is but if it is that's that's wild i mean they've watched everything even the jimmy garoppolo hey we're not sure if anyone's going to be alive on sunday too oh we could see him starting two more years like what? It um, and, and maybe there's a little bit, and I know I'm rambling here, but I know there's there might be a little bit uh for my distaste for this pick because of a little bit left at the altar kind of feeling that I have because I am a huge Mac Jones fan. I mean, if you listen to the first mm-hmm. podcast, he's my second rated quarterback. Uh, Kyle Shanahan has a history of loving quarterbacks like Mac Jones, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm finally gonna get validated by Kyle Shanahan, and he's like, hey, just kidding, Trey Lance, and I, I think maybe that's why. But just everything around that operation in terms of the trade, how it was announced, um, you know, them disagreeing, liking Mac, then tra- not knowing who they're trading up for, giving you know three r- first round picks for a project, I, everything about that is just mind blowing to me. It's something Bill O'Brien would do. Maybe even worse than what Bill O'Brien would do. And to be honest, and I don't know if this is too spicy of a take, but I think this pick will get Kyle Shanahan fired. Wow. Okay. I like that. I I mean, if you look three years down the line, it could very well. Yeah. I think it'll be be that three years down the line kind of thing because if they're, and I said this in our text, so I'll just reiterate the point here. They're going to be the worst team in that division. Bar none. They are, they are, the Rams have gotten better. The Seahawks are still a pretty good team. I think Arizona is going to improve. They've definitely invested in. I just really don't see San Francisco with all the controversy that this pick has caused with the division, the locker room of with, with Jimmy Garoppolo and the challenges that are going to be caused there. I think there's going to be three years down the road you're going to have a stout defense poor quarterback play Shanahan is a quarterback guru quote unquote and I don't think Trey Lance is going to pan out and if that you're not going to win with that roster this this pick could potentially get John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan fired 
Can you think about what that the the hot seat that would be on the the, the Shanahan and Lynch if this were to happen? Finish fourth in that division. They have questions at quarterback with Garoppolo, and then that means that either Garoppolo didn't play well and Lance didn't get on the field because he couldn't even beat out of Garoppolo, or Lance played poorly. And then you look at you're worse than the division, quarterback play still sucks, and you have no first-round picks for the next two years. That yep. seat is on fire uh, for Shanahan and Lynch, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Bill, your take? I, maybe I like Lance a little bit more than you guys do. I, I, I mean, I do think that, you know, drafting a guy that's a developmental guy that high can present some problems. Um, you know, ideally you want your rookie quarterback to be starting from day one so you can take advantage of the fact that you're getting rookie, you know, you're getting production from a somebody who's still on their rookie contract at the most expensive position in the game. Um you know, when I look at Lance, I got to tell you, maybe I'm seeing some things different, but I mean, I think that this dude can play. Um, you know, I think that they, they took a chance on his potential. Um, now, I do, do I think he's Patrick Mahomes? No, I don't. Um, but I do think that he could be an upgrade on, on Jimmy G in shorter order than you guys think that he can. Okay. Um, so I would not be surprised if, Lance does not start some games this year uh, due to Jimmy's injury or to, you know, ineffective play and and really um, surprise some people from the get-go. I I guess I'm a little bit more bullish on him than you guys are, Um, but I I just, I I look at, I look at his build, I look at his skill set, and I see somebody that if they put it all together and they're in the right position to do it, um, they, they could be a difference maker. I just don't. I just don't see it with Lance. I mean, Lance. He has electric highlights, but they're against Division One A players, and it's or uh, uh, Division One Double A players. I'm sorry, or whatever it is. Um, in those 75 yard runs where he's stiff arming players, it's like those aren't even happening at Alabama if you're the quarterback. Like, let alone at the NFL level. When a lot of those splash plays you see aren't happening uh, when you're playing against the Rams. Uh, Seahawks and, and Cardinals next year. Like, it's not happening. Um, but yeah. yeah, and you can go back and you can listen to episode one where Zach and I do a little bit of our, our pre-draft analysis of, of the quarterbacks. But a lot of the throws that Lance made just weren't really that impressive. So even when you go through just at a cursory viewing of his highlights, it's throwing to wide open guys and the balls aren't even that good. Mm-hmm. And and he's got guys that he should be leading towards the goalpost that he's leading towards um, towards the upright. Like it, it just it there's there's a lot of things just that I didn't like about his game. Um, so I won't I we won't bludgeon Trey Lance to death too much <laughs> here. But there's actually one pick that I had in transition that the player grade was I would consider relatively normal, but the pick value, team fit, and immediate impact scores were so low that they actually got a 1.8 score for me. Okay. And this is an, this is not an indictment of the player. I actually very much liked this player. 
and I think he's going to have a perfectly fine NFL career. This is an absolute indictment of this franchise, and I do believe that this is, like I said with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, that it, John Lynch, that this could be a pick so bad that it gets a general manager and potentially a coach fired, and that's the Patrick Sertan pick from the Denver Broncos. Okay, wow. You hate, hate, hate on Sertan, or not necessarily Sertan, but the pick. No, I, I, I really like Patrick Sertan. I think he's going to be a quality player in this league for a very long time. But when, it, it, again, not an indictment of Patrick Sertan, but I'm about to just bludgeon the okay. Denver Broncos here because I'm sorry, you've got three pretty good corners on your roster already. Right, You've got Bryce Callahan, you've got Ronald Darby, and you've got Kyle Fuller. Those are all pretty good corners. Um, and your passing, whether your preference is Mac Jones or Justin Fields, it remains you know whatever your preference is. You're passing on two first-round quarterbacks, and I'm going to say Justin Fields here because I think he was the better, the better of the two quarterbacks, but I would even make this appeal with Mac Jones. You're starting Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. I'll repeat that for those who need to cringe one more time. You're starting Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. You've got three solid corners. So you've got an outside, you've got a nickel, and you've got another outside corner. And your decision as a franchise is to bring in a fourth corner. And we, we crushed David Gettleman last episode for drafting a fourth wide receiver, his wide receiver four outside of, of Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, and... Um, Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton, thank you. And you drafted Kadarius Tony. He's your fourth option in your offense. You're drafting someone who, okay, maybe he ends up starting, but you've already got three quality corners. And you've already got depth pieces behind them, too. So just the mere fact that you passed on two really good quarterbacks and you still have to start Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, is it? I think it's a complete and total disaster. It is an absolute flub of a pick, and it's not a knock on Patrick Sertan. I think Patrick Sertan is going to be perfectly fine. I think he's going to walk in. He's going to be a starter in Denver for tons, you know, maybe for five years or so, but your franchise is never going to win anything in that division. And this is a franchise that is absolutely falling behind. You've got Kansas city. That is a perennial super bowl contender has already been a super bowl champion. You haven't even made Patrick Mahomes sweat during half the games you've played against him. Um, the Los Angeles chargers are going to be really good next year and probably a playoff team next year. And that roster is among one of the, the more emergent rosters that we're going to see in 2021. And to be honest with you, you're bungling around with the Raiders right now. Yeah. Like you're you're in Raider territory mm-hmm. where I just don't see that your franchise is that relevant. And there's so much talent on that roster, but you've handed it to incompetent quarterback play. Why is it that you're not drafting Mac Jones and you're not drafting Justin Fields and you take Patrick Sertan? You went to every one of their pro days 
you watch these guys multiple times, you've invested in scouting those two quarterbacks. It was your biggest position of need, and it had two really good prospects available to you, and you did nothing. You also did they draft a quarterback in this draft? They didn't they I didn't, don't think they did. Let me check. They didn't draft Kyle Trask. They didn't draft Kellen Mond, and they didn't draft um, yeah, no the kid from Notre Dame, Ian Book. No. They didn't draft any quarterback, and you passed on Fields and Jones for Patrick Sertan, and I just don't know what Denver's doing. Well, the roster's getting older, too. I think that their window is kind of closing uh, in terms of their key guys. I When I say the roster's getting older, one of the uh, one of the uh, younger rosters in the league, I understand, but at the, at the defensive positions that win you a Super Bowl, those guys are getting old outside of Bradley Chubb. So um, I don't... Their window, I feel like, is is closing a little bit. I know I got into an argument with the Broncos fan on Twitter who thinks he, they can win 13 games or something like that, which is bizarre. Um, but that's impossible. I know. But my the issue with Pat Sertan is that I think that he's a if you're taking someone in the top 10, he's a fine corner, but I don't think he's like a game breaking corner. Like I think if you're going top 10, it has to be a um, you already are a game breaker or you can become one. And I think Patrick Sertan has a a ceiling as a good corner in the league. And I just don't think it's worth a first first round pick. So I'm I'm with you, Matt, but I don't necessarily I don't actually I don't necessarily think that it had to be quarterback. Um I think they could have gone a different route, but yeah, the Sertan pick. I think they maybe panicked after Horn um and just went with, with Sertan. Um yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I mean, you got Gen Z uh, Drew Locke there, quarterback in the show. Yeah, and listen, I, just just to give clarity to the listener on the grade, like player talent, Sertan got a three. Pick value, one, because of what you're passing on. Yeah. Uh, and the depth you already have at that position. Team fit, one. You already have three really good corners. Why do you need a fourth one? Immediate impact, one. Is this dude even going to... With those three corners that I listed, is he going to be a starter for you? I don't know. At least not. At least not year one, which is we're talking immediate impact there. Yeah. And then potential, I give him. I gave him a three. Like he's he's going to be like Zach mentioned. He's going to be a solid NFL corner. Like that's great. But not at all these other. When you have this this glaring need that you just refuse to address. So I don't know, Bill, if you have any takes on that, or if I'm just too high on my soapbox. <laughs> no, no, I, I, um, I like, I liked Sertan um, as a as a player. I, I do think that he is a little bit better than you know most of the other corners in this class, maybe outside of J.C. Horn, but you know I, I don't think he's that far away from J.C. Horn. Um, but but to your point, the the pick value thing is fair. I mean, think about what the the Denver Broncos would have done if they would have taken a quarterback there and then done their trade up for uh, a, one of the, one of the later first round, early second round corners, right? How, how different do we think their draft is going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I always hesitate with quarterbacks because if you're not sold on a guy, um, it's hard to just say, okay, well, this is the best quarterback available for where I'm at. That, that, doesn't work it's not you're not picking a a guard right you know you need to be convinced that this guy is going to be the guy for you 
Um, and if they didn't feel that way, I, I understand that, but they also, there's an opportunity cost there. Um, when you take a corner, which is, don't get me wrong, it's an impact position, but it's nothing close to what corner quarterback is. Um, so, I mean, I, I agree with the assessment and I, and I do agree with the pick value, um, you know, thoughts that you have, Matt, I, I, maybe they weren't as sold on a quarterback. Maybe they wanted to give Locke one more year, whatever it is, there's, there's an opportunity cost associated with that. Yeah. I'll, I'll just make one last point. It's just sort of a comparative point, And it's also a saving grace for, for any bears listeners as, as we continue to give them kudos for two weeks in a row, but just take a look at those two franchises. Um, and I can't really necessarily pull the Mac Jones comparison because I think the Patriots, he's in a different situation, but like, we're all pretty convinced that Justin Fields is going to be the starter day one in Chicago. He's going to beat out Andy Dalton, in my opinion. Was there any more bland, drab, nameless, faceless, boring, hopeless franchise than the Chicago Bears until pick 11 of this draft where they bring in Justin Fields? And if I go and look at Denver, is there any more middling, boring, mediocre franchise than Denver right now? And you bring in Patrick Sertan and it's like, okay, cool. So what? But imagine what that team would look like if Justin Fields or even Mac Jones gets slotted into that and how that changes the dynamic of the franchise. And so every Broncos fan goes from saying, well, yeah, we've got a talented defense. Yeah, we've got some a good secondary. We've got two good pass rushers. We've got a decent running game. We've got a really good crop of wide receivers. But we still have Drew Locke, so we know we're not going anywhere. To... Yeah, we've got a really good defense. Yeah, we've got good edge rushers. We've got a great crop of wide receivers. Said, you know what? This Fields guy, this Mac Jones guy, we got a little bit of hope. And I just think they they just absolutely dropped the ball on this pick. Yeah, I I think that even if even if you weren't sold on Fields and Jones, you didn't want to get a quarterback there. You still botched it with Sertan. Like there are still other better players uh, on the board. So I think that's where they. I understand if you're not sold on a quarterback, but you still picked a less than ideal non-quarterback. Um, yeah. So that was that was my issue overall. Yeah. So Bill, you. Uh, yeah. Who who was your Bill who's your Bill O'Brien? So my Bill O'Brien award is going to go to the new Bill O'Brien, <laughs> Urban Meyer. Oh, I knew it. I knew this he was coming. He is 100% the new Bill O'Brien. And, and I came with some stats just for, just for you Ooh, guys. So, okay. so the first thing I want to do is I want to read you a quote. Oh, so yes. the, the, the pick that I have selected obviously is Travis Etienne at number 25 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And here's the quote from Bill O'Brien, excuse me, um, Urban Meyer. <laughs> Already mixing up the names. Should you put your disclaimer on this quote too about your fantasy running back situation first? Uh, so listen, I had, I had James Robinson. I was one of the lucky few that picked him up in free agency when he started to look good. I get all that. I love James Robinson. He's my hero. Uh, him and Tommy Tremble. Just throwing that out there. Um, so here's here's the quote I want to share with you folks. Quote, I see Carlos Hyde and James Robinson as the one-two downhill powerful running backs. And I see Travis Etienne. There's times we could be in two backs and Travis is that guy that goes out or we'll still playing with it, but he's certainly a third down back and he's that guy that's a matchup issue for a defense. <laughs> 
So there's a couple things I want to dissect here, folks. <laughs> Number one, the guy that ran for 1,070 yards is mentioned second in the running back pecking order behind Carlos friggin' Hyde, <laughs> right? Just saying. And then your your first round pick when you had all these other needs because, yes, you just drafted Trevor Lawrence, but the rest of your roster is still terrible. You drafted the one position that you did not need. And you drafted a third down passing back. Well, I, I'd like to take a look at the totals for my friend James Robinson last year. So as I mentioned, 1,070 yards on the ground with seven touchdowns. The man also caught 50 freaking balls last year with three touchdowns. The guy can catch the ball. If you wanted to add Carlos Hyde because he used to play for you in, in 1974, <laughs> Urban Meyer, that's, that's on you. But don't tell me that you needed to draft a passing down back that's going to be on the field for, I don't know, 30 snaps a game in the first round and ruin James Robinson's career and ruin Travis Etienne's career and ruin your own career and ruin whatever <laughs> career that Carlos Hyde had left. Okay. Not that there was much of one, no. nothing personal, Carlos, I'm sure you're a nice guy, but this was by far to me, the most egregious pick of the draft. They, they had needs at literally every other position, maybe other than receiver. I mean, I could, I could say they've got some decent receivers, but literally any other position you could have picked would have been a great value because your team is terrible. Christian Barmore was there. The corners, some of the corners were there. Uh, offensive linemen were there. I mean, and you took a third down back. That is egregious. And I look forward to Urban Meyer lasting three seasons because he just has to last because they can't admit that they made a mistake. And then once Urban Meyer is fired, then maybe Trevor Lawrence can can you know take them where they where they should have been the entire time. The the other interesting part about this Great, and like first of all, I really love Bill going full like Batman yeah. in the new trailer. <laughs> like if you watch the Batman yeah. trailer and there's that like stupid thug that like says something, Batman just gets like bludgeoned and just like beat senseless. Like that's what Bill just did to Urban Meyer here, uh, with stats and and facts and quotes and fists and all just the the mess. Like Bill is vengeance right now. Yeah, it's a goddamn thesis. <laughs> but 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 it's for real. But the other the other interesting piece is like this is a misevaluation when I listen to to Urban Meyer's quote. That's a misevaluation of Travis Etienne. Yeah. That is not simply Travis Etienne's game. Like, yeah, he can catch the ball in the backfield. Yes, he had a lot of receptions at Clemson. Yes, he can run routes and do the, all of those things. But Travis Etienne was, in my opinion, the most complete back in this draft class. And he's the leading rusher in ACC history. I mean, just take that in. That's not a third down back. That's a complete back. That's a guy who, like, but what does Urban Meyer view as a complete back? Does, does, because apparently, in his opinion, that's Carlos Hyde, which is <laughs> shocking and appalling to me. But I just, it's a, it shows me that Urban Meyer does not understand the NFL game and that Urban Meyer basically spent, 
I don't know, 11 minutes evaluating players. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm with you on the ETN pick. I, and, uh, first though, is there any, um, uh, is there any way that, that ETN doesn't get, uh, or not ETN, I'm sorry. Urban Meyer doesn't get fired. He, he's going to quit because he has headaches again. Like it's not going to be, it's, uh, it's not going to be because of he got fired. It's going to be, Oh, he had, he's had poor seasons and now his headaches are coming back. So he has to step away. Right, like there's no way he actually someone he let someone fire him, right? Uh, Thoughts, Matt? I, I, Bill. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, no, no, I was I was just cringing. I was just I, I was thought. just I was just thinking, is there any way that yeah, Bill dropped off there for a second, so that's why I was stumbling a little bit. But Bill, you're you're back on, hopped on. Is there any way that Urban Meyer lets someone fire him, and he's not just like um, he's like, oh, my headaches are back. Like he's not going to get fired. No, he's going to quit. No, quit no, no. He he fired. absolutely will make up an excuse, and, and he, yeah, his headaches are back, or he you know temporarily lost internet connectivity, like I just did. You know, just saying. <laughs> um, but you you know the other thing that that is infuriating is Travis Etienne was also my number one back on my board. Like I really like Travis Etienne. So not only are you ruining James Robinson's career, you're also ruining Travis Etienne's career. And it's, it's just a, a egregious misevaluation of, of talent. And, And honestly, if I'm a GM or I'm a head coach, who's basically acting as GM and I inherit a roster where they were able, the previous regime was able to find somebody at an undrafted free agent level and an undrafted free agent pay scale to be one of the best running backs in the conference, probably the league. Do you think that I maybe would try to pick a different position because I've already found value from a team perspective with where I'm at? So it's, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So I'm the last person to give Urban Meyer any benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to just a shred of of it here. I think that he was just trying to be nice um, about James Robinson. I think that he – you don't draft a running back in the first round unless you plan on him playing a ton, and I think that's a mistake. I think that's where my bad grade on this pick comes is that you draft a running back in the first round. I think he was probably trying to be nice, and, and and he failed. But I think this also shows that he's just not ready for the to Matt. What you said, the accountability or the pressure of the NFL. He has bungled a lot of things since he came in. First, it was he he hired that you know racist strength and conditioning coach or whatever, and then he was like, oh my parent, my players will care about this. Oh, I got to fire him now. Bungled that. He he was bungled. He bungled free agency. Um, not only in the contracts he gave out, but also bitching about. Oh, I don't like free agency. Blah blah blah. Like bungled that. And now it's he's trying. He's his first draft bungling that. I and, and he's getting tough questions. And I think that because he's getting tough questions that he's not used to, he's making these unforced errors. And I think that he's just not ready for the accountability. I don't think this is up his alley. I think he's probably learning that now. And I think after a couple of years, is you know his headaches will come back, or he's going to want to see his kids, and he'll he'll you know right before he gets fired, he'll quit. That's what I think. So I'm going to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that he doesn't actually think ETN is a uh, third down back, which is preposterous by for every reason you all just pointed out. But I think he may have been trying to be nice to the other backs on the team, uh, which, again, was, was a stupid way to do it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's shift up the, uh, the mojo in here and let's talk some positivity because we have been, we've been, uh, pretty aggressive (laughs) towards towards a couple of individuals and a couple of franchises. Um, but give me, give me one pick that you absolutely just want to gush about. Bill, want to go? I mean, one of my favorite picks, I know it's an early pick, so, you know, I I feel like the degree of difficulty is... So I've got two. Um, Number one is Panay Sewell um, to the Lions at seven. I do not think that they thought he was going to be there. Um, But, you know, talking about the the culture that that Dan Campbell wants to instill, I mean, I think Sewell, you know, goes a long way into doing that. Um, I think if you're Jared Goff... It, or if rather, if you have Jared Goff, you know, as your starting quarterback, you need to have a good running game, um, you know, and, and, and let him kind of play to his strengths, um, you know, play actions and things like that. Um, you need to be able to, to threaten teams on the ground. Um, so I think that this was a really good pick, a really good fit. Um, but I also do want to call out, um, my, my guy who I had called in a previous podcast is going in the first round, Joe Tryon, um, mm-hmm. at number 32 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I know they've got a lot of edge rushing talent as is, but you can never have too much. And, you know, if you're going to take a luxury pick, you know, I think some teams are like, oh, well, we'll just draft a running back. Cause that's a luxury pick. When you have a position where you can rotate guys and keep guys fresh, um, you know, I, I think it was an outstanding pick by, by Tampa Bay. Um, I think Tryon could eventually end up being one of the premier pass rushers in the league. Um, he's got the frame for it, but there's a lot of upside there. I, I think as he adds on weight and, and learns some of the uh, nuances of the position at this level, I think Joe Tryon could potentially be a multiple Pro Bowl type player. Wow. Um, so I really, really like that pick as well. Awesome. Zach, what uh, do you got? I love this soul pick, um, and I've gushed about him. In our first mock draft, I said the Jets should take him instead of Wilson. But I will go with one who I've had my opinions change, or a player I had my opinions change on. Um, I mean, you could go Slater, um, but the Chargers didn't have to do anything um, to get him. It just kind of fell to him. Zayvon Collins I thought was a great pick. But the one that I will say kudos to will be the Green Bay Packers with Eric Stokes. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, he's not someone that I watched a ton of tape on prior to the draft, but after they picked him, I went back. The guy is fast and mm-hmm. like Olympic, fa- borderline Olympic fast. And he is, uh, he has playmaker written all over him. So that's number one is taking him. But number two is avoiding the noise and staying focused with the Aaron Rodgers thing, you know, not panicking that that news came out. Um, that he that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to play for them, you know, the day of the draft, not panicking and taking like a Rashad, or they couldn't have taken Rashad Bateman, but, you know, taking a lesser wide receiver um, or taking another position that would appease Aaron Rodgers, but sticking to their guns and saying, hey, you know, this is a position of need for us. Uh, I mean, we have Kevin King, we brought him back, but we still need someone who has high, high potential across from Jerry Alexander. And I thought that that I. Uh, having gone back and watched some of these guys who I didn't spend a ton of time on beforehand, I thought that was a great pick. I, I love the Eric Stokes pick from the for the Packers. Yeah, I did a little bit of the same with Eric Stokes because he was a name who you know, a lot of people didn't hear about until he started to creep up into some of the mock drafts. Um, and I went back and, and 
watched a little bit more of his work. And I think, I mean, man, what a year for these like Southeastern corners. Um, and I, when I say Southeastern, I don't necessarily mean SEC, but I'm also encompassing, you know, your Florida States, your Asante Samuels. But I think if you grabbed one of those, you know, someone from the state of, of, you know, any of the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, um, <laughs> you know, Alabama, LSU, something like that. I mean, if you grabbed one of those guys in this draft, I mean, kudos to you. I think you, you ended up with a pretty solid player. They, they, they have really good coaching, defensive coaching down there in the, in the sec and some of those uh, ACC schools as well. So I think um, you you can definitely see that come through in the NFL pedigree that these guys have. So we will, um, we'll kind of wrap up. I mean, we may, we may need another episode for, uh, round one, because there's a ton of things we didn't touch on. The Bengals, Jamar Chase, the Falcons, Kyle Pitts, um, mm-hmm. the Bills going back-to-back pass rushers. I mean, maybe we do first round, or maybe we do uh, the entire draft and kind of give our teams of what's best, but we'll figure it out. But we want to make it easy for the listener um, and make it you know a little bit more bite-sized, I guess. So we'll, we'll wrap up here. Any last picks that you want to talk about real quick and, uh, and why, or, or are we all good? I got I guess one thing that I want to mention to the listeners actually um, we are going to be posting our individual draft grades I guess is what we're calling them um, so we're going to post those on our our Twitter and Instagram accounts so you can follow us at, at football a pod um, so that's Twitter and Instagram give us a follow we will engage in any dialogue so if you are a fan of any of the teams that we discussed if you're a Broncos fan that wants to fight Zach or you pre- <laughs> You probably are going to want to fight me after after my obliteration of, of your franchise's uh, bungling of the first round. Um, we're happy to engage with you. So, um, you know, give us a follow on Twitter. We're just kind of new to this. So we're trying to build our following and things like that. So um, give us a follow, engage with us, dialogue with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts and your opinions on, on not just our grades and our takes um but we'd love to hear your own as well and maybe we can t- you know start building that into this and taking questions via twitter for some of our folks and and trying to talk through that a little bit but um you know, just want to throw that out to the listeners zach will link our our uh, twitter and instagram handles in the in the uh, description here but just want to throw that out for the listeners Great plug. Hear, great plug. Great. That is that was fantastic, great. man. Love I don't that. want to hear anything other than the negative Urban Ryer um, <laughs> thoughts. So don't at me. Bill will answer. Else. Bill won't answer any questions that had that show Urban Meyer in a positive light. And we all have good senses of humor too. So the more you make fun of us, the the harder we'll laugh. So please, yeah. whether it's our accents or our takes or whatever it is, just make fun of us, and we'll have a great time. Um, but, uh, yeah, the great plug, Matt, that is, that is, if I were rating you on that, I would say pro ready plug right there. That Absolutely. is, that Absolutely. is a pro ready plug with, uh, a game changer, immediate impact. So, uh, but anyways, everyone out there listening, appreciate you. Um, and we'll come back next episode. We'll figure out if it's going to be a draft or another part two of the round one, but we'll figure it out and we'll talk some football with you. So see you, everyone. Bye friends. Thanks everybody.